Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Drew and Troy, the founders of Nexpa, which is a better-for-you beverage company, a naturally sugar-free range of sparkling water, iced teas, and tonics. Both Drew and Troy founded the Nexpa brand eight years ago in the early 20s, with zero experience in the beverage business. Naivety is a really, really powerful tool because you don't have any preconceptions or um, fears about what you're getting yourself into. Today, Nexpa is stocked in Coles and Woolworths and is launching its global distribution and supermarket chains in the USA and UK. An incredibly insightful conversation with the founders of a true disruptor brand who have passion and purpose. So, uh, Troy and Drew, uh, welcome to Design Your Life. Nice to have us. It's really cool to see you guys. And obviously, we've been um, we've been lucky enough to have been working with you guys for the last you know year or so on your brand, uh, and you're, and it's amazing to see your brand how it's kind of transforming and growing at a very rapid pace. What was the what was the turning point for you guys in terms of the the Nextbird brand? I think in terms of the last twelve months, it's been a massive step up in the business. We obviously have been going for eight years now, and we spent six years trying to create what we painted in, which is our natural sweetener blend. Once we had that, I think the turning point was really about we self-funded this business as founders for that entire six-year period. And then the step up came once we started to get, did our first capital raise, got some amazing people involved, started to work with some incredible agencies such as yourselves, which allowed us to really establish what we'd been building for six years and then scale our IP on a much larger um, platform with new products, which I'm sure Drew will share. How did you guys meet, Drew? How did you guys... Yeah, so um, Troy is my brother-in-law. We've, you know, essentially met each other when I was about 16 and Troy was uh, probably fifth or what were you, 13? Um, Uh, So three years. And he realised at Um, that point that this guy is a genius. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't say what I usually do. I won't say what I usually do, but I I knew what Troy's passions were. I knew what his skill sets were. um, And I knew that they complemented mine and and they were in contrast to mine, which is really important as well. So when I was looking for a business partner and when we were looking at doing this together, it made perfect sense that um, you keep it inside the family and, and, you know, get someone on board and create a team which is really versatile with different skill sets. Yeah, I think without question there's many challenging moments and times that come through business and I think it's been a really nice one to have, uh, be doing this with my brother-in-law, Drew, who is very different to what my skill set is so we do really kind of divide and conquer and allows us to focus and, and trust what we're achieving as well. And you guys are young. I mean, how did you? When did you have this idea to create this new brand? So, um, you know, I think that, you know, there's a big story behind Nexa about um, me when I was uh, 21 or 22. Went to on exchange to Mexico, and went to a place called Rio Nexpo, which is a surf spot on near the Oaxaca coast. And um, while I was down there, I was sipping an iced tea on the beach. And, and he really... says that, but I'm sure it was next to something. <laughs> yeah. There's probably a little bit of tequila in there as well. But, yeah. um, you know, you have that epiphany when you're traveling, I think, when you see things in a different light. Yeah. And it was about, you know, there's an opportunity here to bring back a better for you beverage company to Australia. They were doing it so much better um, when I was traveling overseas. And, and back home, we really only had... Um, some Me Too iced tea products and everything was full of sugar or artificial sweeteners. So there was nothing on the market which really hit that um, and resonated with the consumer in the naturally sugar-free space and a better for your beverage. And I think from my perspective, what excited me when Drew tapped me on the shoulder to jump on board 
with Nexpar is we really did have a dream that we wanted to be the first company to crack that naturally sugar-free product differentiation. And we'd just seen, I'd been fortunate to visit some remote communities and just see the impact that, and it's totally topical now, <laughs> sugar's the new tobacco, yeah. that both sugar and artificial sweeteners have on the health and economy. So for us, it was let's be an Australian brand with an amazing piece of innovation. And it, it took us six years to crack that. And, and just on that, it is really staggering when you look at um, some of the stats. Diabetes is the sixth highest cause of deaths in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I think one in three kids are going to be obese by 2025 if we continue on the track that we're going. So, you know, when you look at that, if, if um, the major huge beverage companies aren't standing up and doing something about it, it's going to take the little guys like us to actually make a stand and create a difference. And why do you think they haven't done that? I think it's easy to continue on the status quo. Yeah. Um, it's easy to continue in a supply chain mechanism where, um, you know, we're built to use sugars. Um, you know, companies are built off the the uh, cost of goods to, to sell sugar um, and, and our economy with, you know, the, the sugar cane fields and all that kind of stuff is is built to manufacture raw and um, processed sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really see as an opportunity for the sugar industry in Australia is a lot of the byproducts and sugar alcohols that are natural um, from sugars can be used to create natural sweeteners. And, you know, we our natural sweeteners are a blend of sugar alcohols that are byproducts from fermented sugars. Mm-hmm. So it's not about... Um, cutting out sugar. It's just about repurposing sugar for for a better you know better world going forward. I think my take on it, obviously my role is about expanding the business internationally and taking our IP. We've both had meetings with the big multinationals for many years over, over the last eight years. And I think what I find fascinating in the conversations and the meetings that we've had is they all should have the ability to innovate and lead this charge, but ultimately they're because of how multinationals can be run, it's less about really collaborating to launch what is the best product long-term and it's more about short-term gains. And for us it's a matter of how can we make our business and brand of Nexbar lead this naturally sugar-free movement to then fast-track and accelerate multinationals to eventually be in the place that we are as well. Do you guys inherently doing it because you really want to make a difference and, and not just create another new brand but but do one that actually is is better for you there's there's no doubt that you know everything we want to do is is focus on the naturally sugar-free innovation and and i guess you look at our vision which is you know we really want to become australia's naturally sugar-free brands mm-hmm. and we want to do that because we want to have a real impact on diabetes and obesity in australia mm-hmm. um and it's not just words on a page we genuinely uh we we care about this stuff um i've got three kids I don't let them have sugar. Um, Troy's got four kids in his life as well, and, and I'm sure that that's really close to his heart. But it's not – it really is about um, where, I guess, the next generation of businesses, we have a responsibility to promote healthier living, promote um, better for your foods, and we're in the box seat to be able to do that. So we, we really do care about that stuff. I think it's if you're, it's an exciting platform to be in business, to be creating something, and to obviously have a – business can make an impact as well. Ultimately, I think the fact that we've got a purpose behind the brand allows us to achieve things more from a commercial standpoint as well. So I think it's an important structure. Uh, uh, There's a trend out there that there's the rise of those craft brands and things like that. So ultimately, I think that's a place that we are keen and excited to be in. So you've been in business for eight years already. I think uh, you guys said that if you knew what you knew now, you probably wouldn't have Started it. Did you, Did you say that? <laughs> no, I think, I think um, else, what, 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 um, <laughs> what I would say about that comment is, 
you know, Troy and I both came into this with no experience in, um, you know, consumer goods or FMCG at all. Um, my background is, is a civil engineer and, and Troy's in law and communications. So I think in that sense, naivety is a really, really powerful tool because um, you don't necessarily know all the industry challenges that you're going to come up with and industry specific. You're not connected to all the networks in that industry to start with. So you don't have any preconceptions or um, any sort of fears about what you're getting yourself into. So it's a really good way to just say, look, you know, we believe in this idea. We're going to throw ourselves into this and give everything we've got. Um, yes, we're going to hit challenges as we come and hurdles as they come across. But because of the mindset we've got and the entrepreneurial spirit that we have, we're just going to overcome it. You know, whatever it takes, we're going to find a way. Um, we're going to continue to strive to, to achieve our dream. And, and that's probably really what that comment is, is about. Being in business with your family, like there's been plenty of challenging times, but having each other to be able to bounce off, we've got no option but to push through. We're not from families with backgrounds with incredible amounts of money. We both had, I personally had two mortgages at 20, 20 21 with this business. Drew's the same. And we just knew that this is, we're all in. And ultimately there was a guy called Peter Barron who we call the godfather of Nexbar. He said to us early on that success is the byproduct of doing business right. And I think that's been instilled with us. Like we could have grown quicker potentially if we raised capital earlier, but the fact that we didn't, we wanted to go ourselves, prove the demand, prove that people like the brand and we've got strong loyalty. And that's when you can really then ramp up and scale. Initially, when you kind of had this idea for the product, it was like a something you really felt like you have goosebumps about. It was a kind of tingling feeling around, this is the thing that we've got to make happen. Um, yeah, I think we did. I think we, I think we genuinely looked at the the concept and the um, idea and thought we have to make this happen. And, you know, we, we see the opportunity. We believe in in what we're trying to do. Um, you know, to your point before about having each other's backs and 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 really wanting to go into business together. Um, that kind of epitomizes the the family working relationship. Is at the end of the day, you you you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have speed humps, and you're going to you're going to um, have arguments, but. You can't walk away from each other, <laughs> even though, even if you want to. You have to have each other's think, backs. That's just what happens. That's what's happened yeah. throughout the years. And over the years, since we've grown and we're getting a, an amazing team and creating that environment and culture in the office, I think whereas in the past we would have happily had our passionate arguments and blowouts in front of people, we just yeah. <laughs> learned to take it into a room and just ultimately because I'm somebody who genuinely believes in there should be arguments uh, about ideas because that means you've got people that are passionate about your business and your products and if there isn't that um, tussle, then ultimately you're not creating the mm. best product that can help su- help survive the test of time. So I think it's a positive environment. A lot of people have ideas, and, and, um, and, but a lot of, very few of them actually make those ideas come to life. What's the difference between you guys and making that happen? I... 100% thing is a mindset thing. I think everyone's got the ability to come up with a concept and find a solution to achieve an outcome. But <clears throat> you're the only person, if, if you are not going to achieve something, it's because um, you found an excuse in your own mind not to do or not to take a certain path or not to overcome an obstacle. You know, just looking from a purely a product standpoint, things that we've brought to life, um, even in a functional space and different things we're doing in, in the industry, they haven't been done before. And if we had the mindset of it hasn't been done before, so there's no roadmap to do it, therefore we're going to give up, yeah. we wouldn't be achieving and we wouldn't be moving forward and bringing this innovation that consumers haven't seen before. I think from like my answer to that question, and I'm very fortunate in the last sort of 18 months we've been getting some incredible uh, mentors and investors on board, the likes of 
uh, Joe Farage, Farage Clothing, Paul Zara, Exio, David Jones, uh, John Bacon. He built a humongous pharmaceutical business and did incredibly well there. All of those people believed in the idea and the concept that we've got. Um, so ultimately, I think you need a good idea. One thing that we did early on was this thing around the blue ocean strategy, which I think the principles are still the same. You, if you have a unique and a really positive idea, it should succeed, but it only succeed from ultimately having the right people behind it driving that idea into creation. Like, and when we meet with fellow entrepreneurs and aspiring people in business, if anybody's ever like, I want to be in business to make money, uh, then I'm, that's like the first person I'm like, oh, I think you're going to have a challenging few mm. years ahead of yourself because like, yeah. that takes time. Like we didn't pay ourselves for five years <laughs> and we ultimately invested in getting people like Steve Smythe from PepsiCo to come into our business to help us take our idea to a bigger platform. Um, how, do you, how do you or do you get dis- distracted into other, other products or other um, I have brand to. ideas? I think part of my role is to be everywhere. Um, but ultimately, as a business, what we've done, especially over the last sort of two, three years, when we've now become custodians of other people's money, is to have a very clear strategy and objectives of what we want to achieve for 12 months, but not stifling innovation. We still want to allow that environment. Uh, we're really excited to have a guy commence today, um, a guy called Vin Ramanadan from over, he was based in the US, he's come on board as our CFO, CEO, and I think for the next phase, he's somebody who can help unlock, so we can still be innovative, still have lots of ideas, but he'll do it in a way that's much more uh, commercially orientated and focused for growth. Uh, I think that the thing that I'd like to kind of touch on again is this around the, the evolution of your brand, because you guys started a brand eight years ago. Uh, we came in, it's not a plug for us by any means, it's just we like kind of connecting with people who are wanting to do good and and help them in some way to help them be the best they can be. So when we got involved in it, what what was the reason behind that? Why did you uh, – what was happening with your brand that you needed to refresh it? I think um, part of the evolution of Nexpa is that a lot of what was done in the first few years and, and you know, up to, up to probably three years ago was, was a lot of gut feel by Troy and I. Um, Neither of us are designers or neither of us um, experts in, in brand messaging, et cetera. And we were really clear on what Nexpa stood for. We knew that it was naturally sugar-free, but, you know, I, we didn't feel like that was being delivered properly to a consumer. So we knew that it was time to go, you know what, let's let's get the experts involved. Let's really restructure the, the brand messaging um, wrap it up with the brand logo so that there's no confusion. Consumers know exactly what Nexus stand for. Um, and that is naturally sugar-free. And, and um, the genius, I think, of, um, you know, putting your brand message inside the logo to, to really own that and own it more than anyone else can is um, it's been a really big change for us. And, and the stark contrast in um, we've seen an uplift in sales for sure. You know, I think consumers are now – really understanding what the Nexpa brand stands for. Whereas before, you know, it was all in our heads. We knew what it stood for, but it wasn't necessarily being delivered and the packaging wasn't necessarily working well enough on shelf to, to get the consumers to pick it up. I think obviously we've been in business for eight years. We've survived not by spending a lot of money above the line because we actually haven't had it. So I think for us it was a logical investment in rate of sale and building momentum mm. on the brand. So yeah. I think that's been a, a clear win for us is how do you make 
And because we're expanding so rapidly from a product portfolio, like we were originally RST for many years, we we're going to grow really quick. And we wanted to make sure that as we grow and get multiple new uh, ranges and product formats, that there's consistency so we can create that impact when you're visually in a store. And, and no matter what, you know, whether it's foodstuffs, whether it's um, ice creams or whatever, if that Nexpo logo is on there, we want people to know that it's naturally sugar-free and we want to be famous and a household, you know, we want we want that really big household penetration and we want people to know that when they're eating a Nexpo or drinking a Nexpo product, it's naturally sugar-free and, it's, and that means no sugar, and nothing artificial. And you can artificial. trust it. I think there's been our biggest challenge as a brand is sugar-free, is synonymous with artificial and diet, zero. Like every multinational that's launched a product and used these big names has spent a lot of money, got a lot of impact from a consumer buy, but ultimately they're not naturally sugar-free. So we, it's an education thing that we need to focus on, which is why we're excited to have brought it into the bubble yeah. to hopefully make that easier. Yeah, and we, and we hope and we actually really do believe that the rebranding has, has done that. So. Is it cool to see it in stores? Um, on the weekend, I went to a hotel in uh, the, on Northern Beaches. The Novotel. And, Give it a plug. Um, I went to the Novotel, Northern <laughs> Beaches, <laughs> and um, I opened up the, the little bar fridge and there was an expert in there. I'm like, and I, look, I turned to my wife and go, Jess, did you put an expert in the fridge? And she's like, no. And I, and I you know, grabbed the um, mini bar list and next was written on the mini bar list. It was in the, so we didn't even, as brand owners, we weren't even aware of that. So it's starting oh. to really get out there and that – that's one of those kind of like pinch yourself moments. Um, you know, this is a major hotel chain that's obviously sourced next bar. Um, you know, they, they see the trend of better for you, you know, Aussies wanting to, to improve their, their health. Um, and they've made a conscious decision to go and source next bar and, and stock in their fridges, which is a, it's a really cool, um, it's a really cool thing. And I think it goes back to probably the rebranding as well, that people, are, people really understand what next is all about now. I think the I think the exciting thing is we've been going for eight years. Our relationships are unique. We've got really powerful relationships because of this positioning with Coles and Woolworths. And over the coming months, like when you visually walk into stores, that's going to be quite exciting for us to see. And then my personal role for the business now, heading up our I guess our global strategy is heading over to the UK and then California, both as test markets for regions. So we've secured. A launch in the UK. I can't share yet who that account is, but it's we've got uh, yeah a lot of product heading over there and an amazing partnership, which is going to be like know, a big a supermarket or what? Yeah, so one of the major supermarkets. Um, it'll be uh, launches in October, and it's pretty exciting. Wow! For I think that was a, for me. I had the luxury of being over there in the meetings, and we met with all the retailers, and to be an Australian brand meeting. Uh, I think the luxury of being eight years in is you can get meetings with the right people very quickly. Like our first meeting with 7-Eleven took 18 months to get in the room and that was our first national account back in 2012. Mm -hmm. But when I went to the UK three months ago, we had meetings with all the majors uh, and they were all incredibly receptive. Over there, there's a soft drink levy that's just come in. So it was almost like the perfect, oh, perfect storm yeah, <laughs> in yeah. a positive way of, of launching over there as well. Is, it, is your product made here in Australia? So we make it um, all Australian, mate. So we make it in Sydney and Melbourne, depending on capability. Um, you know, I think for us, it would be a really easy thing to do and, and probably in my eyes a bit of a cop-out to go to – you know, a country in Southeast Asia and, and, and produce the product for probably 50% less on the on the cost of goods that we pay now. But, you know, we're really passionate, not just about the, the health benefit, but, um, you know, keeping jobs in Australia, all those kind of things, uh, you know, it means, you know, we're both um, 
I guess, classic Aussie guys and, and, and we're wanting to support the economy and we're wanting to do different bits and pieces that we want to do. And, and gives us the element of being able to be really hands-on, going down to the factories, seeing things be produced, um, tweaking things, quality controls right there. I'm really passionate about the Aussie manufacturing. On the global front, though, like for Australia, absolutely. And potentially as you look at exporting into Asia, there's so many brands taking from Australian shipping overseas into Asia and it makes sense and you can commercially make it work. From a how do you scale our IP and an Australian innovation quickly and sustainably, obviously it doesn't make sense from a sustainability to be sending uh, ridiculous amounts of containers to the UK and Europe. So we will be um, replicating and partnering with big big businesses in international markets to, to spread it. Are they buying it because they, it's an Aussie brand? Is that the it's major of, appeal? It's naturally sugar-free um, positioning. So everybody, there's a trend that if you aren't artificial, the trend is actually to have hints of flavour in products. Mm. So I think what's unique about Nextblower is the fact that we're we are our no sugar, nothing artificial, but that full taste piece. Mm-hmm. And that's what's different. Like I met with one of the retailers in the UK and was like, well, this is our strategy is actually in the flavoured carbonates, which is our soft drinks category, was to remove um, the flavour and just put hints of product and flavours in, in the category. So kind of subtle flavours. They didn't know that. We, we, like we've got a really big point of difference globally and particularly in the UK. Mm. Yeah. So technology hasn't caught up to us. But we're going to move yeah. fast. That's amazing. Yeah. We're 12 months to be the Australian household name. We've well, got your new, <laughs> your new CFO coming in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, presumably that's going to make you guys, help you guys run it more efficiently yeah, and more um, expand faster. I mean, it's incredible how you get these big, big names in, um, in the industry on board. So you must be really gaining some momentum there. Early on, it was really important for us to get the right mentors on board. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy mentioned Peter Baum before. He's, um, what he's done in the industry is really impressive. And, and um, you know, it's a bit of a snowball effect. You get you get one person on and, and that gives you credibility to start having conversations with the other people. Um, and, you know, the likes of Paul Zara, ex-CEO of David Jones, is on our board. Phil Baldock. Um, Phil Baldock, ex-CEO of uh, Jim Bean Australasia. Probably is a bit of a credit to the company and the, and the um, journey that we're on that these people not only have, have um, come and sought information on the business but they're, they're maintaining a relationship with the business in a long-term sense as well. So these guys... Um, want to be on the journey as much as we are and they're, and they're as passionate as we are about what we're trying to do. So it's it's really exciting to have these mentors on board, people that can be used as a sounding board and give us really good advice based on, you know, whether it's exporting to the UK or whether it's um, pack price architecture in the Australian business. There's there's a lot of good advice that these guys provide. How many people have you guys got working for you now? You know, we're keeping a really tight team. Um, head office is about 10 or 11 people. Um, we do, because we manufacture in Australia, we do outsource uh, or subcontract a lot of work. So indirectly, there'd be a couple of hundred people around Australia that work for, you know, from in a manufacturing and distribution side of things. Um, but direct employees, head office levels about 11. Yeah, I think what's exciting with our model as where I'm focused on in terms of taking it overseas is we've made sure that we reach out to similar style people like we're built with the next legends, with the names we've mentioned in the UK yeah. and then in the US because ultimately it's having the right people involved that can help get the credibility and the scale of the brand and the product in those markets. But I think, yeah, I think getting these people involved is a reflection of the movement. Uh, we've, we said what we've reflected on is 
the challenge for us in educating people around naturally sugar for over the next 12 months is when you have the luxury of having a conversation to a podcast with yourself is it's very easy to understand what our product proposition and positioning is but the challenge we've got and the reason why people are getting involved is the stats that we get show incredibly strong loyalty once somebody's tasted the brand Mm. Um, but ultimately it's how do you really scale that on a mass how do you have a 10 second conversation with every Australian Mm. so that they get it because investors and retailers get what we're doing Um, but that's the next next phase. Uh, We talked earlier about having a big idea and bring it to life. How would you recommend to people how they go about, you know, raising capital or working out even how much is needed to to bring it to life? My my biggest piece of advice for anyone that feels like they've got an idea or a niche that they want to follow is you just have to take the first step because if you keep um, tweaking and, and formulating this idea for years and years and years, um, not only is the market changing, but you're, you're never going to get to a perfect idea. Um, you just need to, to launch something and then tweak it as you're going type thing because the best way to know what the market needs is to be in market. And don't be afraid to fail as well because you, mm-hmm. you, there's no way that you're going to get everything you do is going to be successful and you're going to be the right person. Um, you're going to be you're doing the right things. The majority of entrepreneurs that I've met, um, they're serial entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of the first businesses they started have failed or a lot of the first ideas in their successful business have failed. So it's about um, if you're going to fail, fail fast, rectify it and get back on the horse and, and just – uh, you know, make it successful and, and don't take no for an answer. Yeah, the amount of brands in our category, like in our industry that we've seen launch over the years come in and go and these are multinational brands spending millions of dollars, that's kind of what shaped us is somebody that's spending $10 million on a marketing campaign doesn't achieve our rate of sales. So clearly that $10 million isn't necessarily working. <laughs> yeah, well, that agility is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Well, how, how do you maintain that when your guys are growing do you still have that same approach in terms of agility yeah i think that um you know i would like to say and like to think that we've maintained the same level of agility and um i think that you know we always want to maintain our challenger brand we, we want to think like a challenger brand we want to we want to have a small brand mentality and, and really stay nimble um but at the same time we want to implement the right systems which help us do things better and and you know, getting a, a really smart, intelligent CFO on board to help us with the strategic side of things and make sure that the commercial deals we're doing with these major key customers is on point. Um, those kind of things and those kind of like systems that you implement are crucial. But if you can maintain that challenger mindset, that small brand mindset, you're going to maintain that that nimbleness and agility. I think mm. you grow like customers are everything. So you grow in business because of your openness and focusing on a collaborative partnership. So for the deals that we're looking at doing in the UK and the US, it's all about building that partnership. And ultimately they then, uh, like Drew says, we're getting all these systems in place. But if there's an amazing opportunity, an amazing idea, um, I, I get in a lot of trouble <laughs> coming back saying we we just need to find a way to make this happen because our purpose is bigger than the commercial element as well. Like mm. we want to make naturally sugar-free products available because it has a positive impact. Mm. Uh, so instead of giving no's, how can we turn it into a yes that can can work and can kick off? Yeah. Did you ever feel like during the course of uh, growing the business have any kind of anxiety around what the hell are we doing? Should we just pack it in? Always. Like, Heaps of times. Always. <laughs> Every day. I was just... <laughs> There's so many times that you're down to your last 
20 bucks in your bank account or you are feeling like you just keep getting kicked in the guts um, and you can't take steps forward. But I think that's just part of that whole, you know, getting over the hurdles and being an entrepreneur is that you you have an absolute faith in what you're doing and your mission and your vision. And um, if you believe in that enough and you've got enough um, get up and go and motivation to, to keep going, you're going to move you know, you're going to move forward more than you're moving back. Mm-hmm. And if you keep moving forward and forward and forward, you're going to get closer to achieving your goals and dreams. And, you know, for me, that's that's one of the biggest parts is um, the amount of times. And to be honest, I don't know, I mean, I'll, I'll probably shed a tear, tear of an expert. I know Troy has as well. Oh, um, the last year, doing a capital raise. Uh, the <laughs> you're, you're, you're so <laughs> passionate about what you're doing and it pisses you off so much when things don't go your way. And you're like, that's, you know, it's, you can cry about it being not being fair or you can just get back to doing what you do best and that's just moving forward. Yeah. So um, for sure it's a challenge but you just got to keep going. Forward. I think it helps that we've been doing this for eight years and this is all we've been doing so we're all completely in. Yeah, so we've yeah. got no option but to create a result. We also know that we're in a really unique position. But, yeah, I think I even said even when things are going amazing, that's when I actually am probably more anxious because I feel like, what aren't I saying? <laughs> what, are, what aren't yeah, I preempting? Because yeah. I think as a role of a, a founder and a leader of a business is you always need to think, well, it's probably an unhealthy way to live, but you've always got to map out what are the potential minefields that could explode. Yeah. Because when they do come and when the challenges do come, because they will, you can obviously navigate and get through quicker and grow from that. If there's anything for certain, it's that things don't go to plan. If you hear roadmap... Mm. Um, you know, you might take a different path to get there. So you've got to have all these different plan Bs and you've got to be prepared to just um, improvise and, and get back on track if you sort of stray. Um, just talking about disruption too because obviously you guys are disruptors and I've noticed that a lot in my business this last few years that, you know, that constant disruption. It's not just like once a year it happens or maybe every few years. It's actually happening on a daily basis. Someone new is coming out of nowhere. Another company's coming in from abroad and opening up or... You know, the technology's changing, et cetera. Does that, does that keep you awake at night? In terms of competition and what might be coming, I think we're really good at, um, to an extent, blocking out competition and really focusing on running our own race. So we, we see the consumer problems with whether it be um, sugar or whether it be, you know, the potential for functional beverages which aren't delivering on the message that, that they say they're delivering on. And we try and find a solution for that and then work with our key customers to launch a product. Um, we don't have a lot of data about what the major companies are doing. When they launch products, we see them when they're, when they're in store. So, and yes, we try and, um, we try and do our best to overcome, you know, those challenges when they launch products, which may be, you know, implied to be close to ours or, or similar to ours. But we don't spend a lot of time focusing on what they're doing because otherwise it will just pass us by. I think we, we are so focused on running our own race and delivering products to, that consumers are, are wanting and, and there's a need for that, um, you know, I don't spend a huge – I don't lose a huge amount of sleep about what the competitors are I think doing. that um, innovation can overcome disruption but ultimately the thing that – allows us to sleep is be really uh, focused on relationships and always having the right people in and around the business so if something does become overly disruptive we can navigate that like what we know Nexper versus the Coca-Colas and Pepsis of the world like we ultimately have an authentic brand that has spent eight years trying to be 
naturally sugar-free? Like ultimately with that question, those big guys need and should evolve to be in our place. Like, And I think what we are hoping is that we can actually you need to partner with big businesses to get broader distribution. So we ultimately want to grow and partner with the right uh, people in the right markets to make sure that we can make naturally sugar-free products available. Well, you, you have a very clear purpose. You guys are doing good. I mean, all these, you know, the whole, I'm doing a talk tomorrow, I think it is, at Adobe, uh, which is all about uh, brands with purpose. And it seems to be very, you guys are ahead of the game and kind of it's coming in just at the right time, I guess. Does that make you feel good? I don't think we spend a huge amount of time focusing on how what that kind of makes us feel. I think it, it makes us understand that we're heading in the right direction. Um, and I was at last week. I heard um, I heard Ronnie Khan from um, from Oz Harbour speak, and she's all about she's speaking all about you know brands with purpose, and and that helps consumers relate to what they're doing because I guess um, in the in the the world we live in. You know, there's a, there's a, you can get caught up in a lot of the bad things that are happening, but you can also support the good things happening as well. And, and brands like Oz Harvest are doing such a good job and consumers can really relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that by doing the right thing and, and by um, launching products which are good and, and really having a purpose, which we believe is the right thing, I hope that resonates with consumers and I hope consumers pick up our products. Mm. And I hope that um, it, it supports key customers having our product on shelves. I hope they sell more products. Um, I think, I think um, you know, making, making money and being commercial and being a successful brand is a byproduct of doing things right yeah. and doing things with purpose. I feel, I feel great <laughs> seeing um, other businesses and brands uh, do things with purpose I think is a really positive step. Like ultimately I think multinationals are becoming much more purpose orientated, which is the right thing to do. So I think it makes... Yeah, the question around do I feel good about that stuff? Absolutely. I think that we're also where we are because of all the other entrepreneurs and businesses that we've met along the way that share ideas to help uh, make our businesses bigger and better. Like ultimately you could sit – like we sit down with uh, – there's a number of beverage owners, good friends with David from H2 Coco, a lot of people that we kind of sit in the room and, and we're all in the same industry but ultimately we're all trying to – grow and there's a lot of people that need healthy products so Mm. i think it's less about seeing that stuff as potential threat or competition and more about how can you collaborate and make each other's ideas better that's a great outlook on life and on business do you guys feel like you've designed your life um definitely i think i've always um I feel like I've designed Drew's life. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, was Drew think about that? For me, um, that's that's a bit of a joke. But (laughs) um, for me personally, I was was always I was always going to um, whether I had a problem with authority. I'm not sure, but I always felt a um, drive to want to control your own destiny. I guess in a sense, Um, and it's exactly what we've done. If we look back on the last sort of eight years of what we've done. Um, it is 100% been Troy and I and the team designing the outcome of our own destiny. Mm-hmm. So we, we've been so focused on um, Nexper and building that and, and it's been exactly what we wanted to do. And it's created scenarios where, um, you know, personally I've been able to buy a house and, and Troy has as well and, and allow us to do different things that we may or may not have been able to do if we'd stayed in the corporate world. I think that uh, whether we've designed our own life, I've, I'm truly excited and I know that if we weren't where we are like whilst it things can get tougher the opportunities only get bigger and ultimately I feel like 
Um, I've spent the last 12 months in my role building myself out of being operational in the Australian business and I'm fortunate to have a business partner like Drew who can be the CEO of Australia and need that. So I think uh, the the global growth of the business is a pretty exciting one mm, for myself exciting. and my partner and um, I may have a weekend every now and then in a, in a nice location which is it, it, it suits anyway yeah, yeah. for the investors hearing this it's okay it's on mine yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no I think life's you've people talk about do you enjoy work like if we if you don't um, then it's probably not the best thing for you doing when it's such a huge part of your life so I think if you can love what you do then you can ultimately have a healthier life and approach to what you're up to yeah, that's, and that's one of the main things I always hear about people saying, oh, I'm dreading Saturday, Sunday night because i got to go to work on Monday. I'm like, I love going to work. There's nothing about work that I don't enjoy. I, yeah. I love um, moving forward and making a difference. And I think that, you know, while we're still doing that, I think, I think Troy absolutely loves um, every day of work as well. While we're still doing that, I, like for me, it's, this is a dream job. It's, mm. you, we've created a situation, we put ourselves in a situation through the help of many other people that we're yeah. just super fortunate that we get to do this every day and we get to make a difference. For me, it's a dream job that I can work anywhere doing. Like I don't need to be in the office. I can be at a, a cafe in Bondi. I can, like mm. that's kind of the the thing that I enjoy and still get an amazing outcome. Yeah. You guys are making an incredible difference in the world and it's a very aspirational brand. Well done. And thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. No, thank you. Thanks it's been a pleasure. Vince. Yeah, it's been great. Cheers, Vince. Thanks, guys. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective.